True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Welcome on! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today and welcome to November. Hope everybody had a fun Halloween. I am Frank Sample, joined by Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, take a look at the top 10 second base prospects in Dynasty and the names you'll need to know for redraft leagues in 2024. We'll also talk Arizona Fall League, World Series thoughts, and get you updated on First Pitch Arizona, which is this week. More on that a little bit later on. But first, Welsh, I do have a confession. Are you ready? I don't think I'm going to like it. I love November. I, I love the month of November. It's an awesome month. My birthday is in November. My okay. brother's birthday is in November. We have Thanksgiving, which is my Pretty favorite great. holiday. You just eat and watch a bunch of football. It's amazing. You get to see family. That's cool. I'm and in. now we have this new tradition. First pitch, Arizona. I love it. I love all of it. Okay. No, I love it. I thought you were going to be like, <laughs> I have this thing to tell you. Go Rangers. And I was like, ah, oh, we're going to do this again. No, uh, I'm uh, I'm good. I'm I'm game with everything that you said here, Frank. I agree with every bit of it. I love I love a tradition of seeing you in November. As yeah. Well. Yeah. More again, more on that in just a little bit. Welsh, you're obviously wearing your uh, Arizona Diamondbacks hat, and I teased this on yesterday's podcast. You were out there at Game 3. Obviously, the result is not what you wanted. And a little heads up, we're uh, recording this a little bit earlier in the day, so we don't know what happened in Game 4, even though this podcast and video is coming out here on Wednesday, November 1st. But, you know, it really felt like, just watching the game, Adolis Garcia throwing Christian Walker out at the plate, just like completely changed the momentum of the game. Yeah, let me tell you, man. Um, so there's a big push out here locally. Everybody wants Christian Walker to get going. Everybody has been like, come on, man, Christian Walker, let's go. There's a big chant for it going into the game. When he got up, it was one of the loudest I've ever heard. 
that almost homer, which I think they estimated 20 of 30 parks, that double would have been a homer in. I have, there's only three times I have heard that stadium explode like that. Uh, a couple years ago when I was at the opening day, Seth beer walk off on B- national beer day, Homer, that was the most electric game I've ever been to. Um, later in the game with Geraldo Perdomo was one of the loudest, most just energy electric. But when Christian Walker hit that, the stadium erupted. We, everyone was buzzing. Oh my gosh, here we go. We're going to start it off hot. Let's get going. And then in an instant, and this is the problem with what happened with this game. This happened three or four times last night, uh, two nights ago as you're listening, is you would have this moment of buzz and excitement that was immediately deflated. And when he ran through, when he ran through that that stop sign, and Adolis, I saw the replay. The replay actually looked kind of close. It wasn't remotely close watching it live in person because I have the vantage point. I was st- like staring at Adolis and I could see the third. And I was like, he got him by a country mile. It was so big and it was very, very deflating. And also just not even the strandedness, but not taking advantage. They literally squandered every opportunity. That definitely, like if looking back on it, was the precursor of just deflating the energy from the Diamondbacks. Speaking of deflating, I mean, the Rangers suffered big injuries in that game. Adolis Garcia with the with the oblique and Max yeah. Scherzer with the back tightness. Again, well, by the time people are listening, you probably have more updates by now. But what are your thoughts? I mean, I think, you know, Arizona can very clearly climb back in if there's no Adolis Garcia. I mean, listen, this game, we could be going in and, you know, had all things gone right, a 2-1 Diamondback lead into game four. If they they really should have taken game two, that was a disgusting blow. They had opportunities last night, too. They As, as bad as they played, I mean, I got to tell you, when, Brand, the, when Corey Seager was up and Brandon fought through that pitch, I put my head down. I was like, I know that I before it even hit, I'm like, I know this is going. It was the most no doubt Homer I've ever seen in person. It was unbelievable. Yet the Diamondbacks were still just lingering around. And that's kind of what they've been doing. They've got these close opportunities here and there. I mean, they blew out the Dodgers, uh, the Dodgers, the Rangers in game two, yet both wins for the Rangers have been relatively within reach for the Diamondbacks. So, you know, I think the momentum is uh, with the Rangers right now. The injuries could step back a little bit. The Diamondbacks offense has to get going. It's within reach for them, but now they'd have to win it in Texas, and it's a really tall task. I don't know. I want to be optimistic and say the Diamondbacks are going to win. I'm going to hold to that, but last night was pretty deflating. You know, my first that was my first playoff game I've ever gone to, my first World Series nice. I've ever gone to. I definitely walked out uh, a little bit sadder. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. I've been to a, a bunch of Yankees playoff games, have not been to a World Series game. We're kind of toying with the idea of going to uh, one of these World Series games. But my gosh, they are so expensive. It's like as people are listening to this. I'm going I, like I'm probably going to see Frank. Like as you're listening to it this day, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to be in person with Frank and we'll talk about some of the other stuff. Yeah, we have been going back and forth about all the possibilities. The ticket prices did drop a little bit, Frank. I can tell you that. But mm. uh, there is the possibility of uh, of going, which, by the way, I said this on another show, but can I tell you? So, you know how we used to like get tickets? That was cool. You get your physical tickets. Now we don't. It's all digital. But there's kind of this uproar of like, I'd like to get, you know, memorabilia. Some people like to get them autographed or keep them. I looked. It was $40. I don't know, just grand scheme, but $40 just to get a fake version of your own ticket that you purchased. I was like, what? I wanted my fake ticket. And they're like, oh, that'll be $40. 
I was like, holy what? God, it was crazy. It's great. The amount of money you spend at the, no shocker at the World Series is I was a sucker. I was buying this. I was buying that. <laughs> Look at this thing. I got to show you this. This is the coolest thing I've ever purchased. The World Series. It is a lineup. I'm going to show it on camera. A lineup baseball. So it's got World Series oh, nice. right there. And then it's got both the starting lineups of each team on the ball. That's awesome. I'm a sucker, but I'm just, I'm pointing out, I'm a sucker. And that's, they know World Series time is sucker time and they're going to get you. And I got, got, and I haven't purchased that ticket yet, but just know if you go to the World Series, it'll cost you an extra $40 to print out your extra fun piece of memorabilia, Frank. Yeah. Hopefully they win. What's what's $40 on top of like $600 just to get in the door, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Let me mem- memorialize the uh, game that we lost at and uh, lost all the money too. Uh, let's talk about First Pitch Arizona. We've referenced it a few times already. It is this week. And we've talked about this a lot kind of leading up to this event. And I'll be out in Mesa, Arizona with a bunch of other fantasy analysts, including the Welsh, Mm -hmm. uh, from Wednesday, November 1st, when you're listening to this, to Monday, November 6th. So I'll be there all weekend. First Pitch Arizona Fantasy Baseball Conference presented by Baseball HQ, which features panel discussions, live podcasts, way too early drafts, Arizona Fall League games, and... The World Series. That's right. The World Series is going on in Arizona. Here's what you need to know about the Welsh and I, what we'll be doing out there. If you are going to the event, we're doing a live Fantasy Baseball Today podcast on Saturday, November 4th at 11 a.m. Arizona time. That will be streamed on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel at the same time. So if you're East Coast, that's 2 p.m. Eastern time. If anyone's around, you're doing nothing this Saturday, feel free to come watch. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, What do we have planned? We're going to talk about tough players to rank in 2024. We have two trivia giveaways. More on that in a second. Uh, And we will have a prospect from the Arizona Fall League joining us on the podcast. We will not reveal yet, just yet, who it is. Uh, Stay tuned on social media. We'll reveal that information, but we're going to have a prospect there. We're doing giveaways and we're talking about tough players to rank. What are the giveaways? We have a signed Kyle Manzardo baseball and a signed Corbin Carroll photo, which comes uh, from your boy, Sid's Grass, sidsgrass.com. He has an eBay account as well. So shout out to him. Thank you for those. But man, uh, if you want to flash us up on the screen, Welsh, and, and let us know a little bit more, is Kyle Manzardo Kyle. baseball, let's go. Yep, this is a sweet spot. Kyle Manzardo baseball right there. That's perfect. That's going to go to somebody. And I mean, you want to talk about beauty. This bad boy Ooh. is, this is an officially licensed MLB Corbin Carroll photo that has got the gorgeous, like, kind of teal blue pink pin autograph of Corbin Carroll certified from Sid's graphs done in person. I was actually there when it was done, so I can certify it as well. And we are going to be giving both of those things away, courtesy of Sid's graphs. Follow him on uh, social as well on Sid's graphs. Those are some pretty cool giveaways that are going to be uh, two people in the live audience. So pretty sweet. So make sure to come hang out, watch us live. We'll, you know, have some kind of trivia questions about whichever players we're talking about. Again, that's this Saturday, November 4th at 11 a.m. If you're out in Arizona and if you want to watch us live on the YouTube channel, that'll be 2 p.m. Eastern time. Let's talk about second base prospects entering 2024. uh, I noticed we got some 2023 draftees up here at the top. Welsh, your overall thoughts on the second base prospects entering next year. Yeah, I mean, I like the position in general. When you get into the middle infield, uh, this is where this also gets tricky. Uh, It's easier if 
just for you guys processing, it's like, oh, what's what does this player qualify at at the site that you play on? But the problem is, is there are shortstops that are going to get to second base. There are maybe even corner infielders that are going to move over to there. I mean, position flexibility goes around, but there's just a lot of really good guys that are at that second base spot um, from one guy who actually was a shortstop who made the majors and played more primary second base at the majors and in the minors. We've got a couple AFL guys that made the top 10 list here. I think there's lots of speed. I think there's lots of power. This is where things get more exciting from the betting on standpoint. And one of these guys has become one of my absolute favorite first year player guys that we're going to talk about. And then the proximity list is actually way more interesting, I think, than what we did with like first base and catcher. Like now we're getting into the juice of the prospects, whether dynasty or proximity that we're going to be wanting to invest in more. All right, well, let's start with one of those names, Matt Shaw up at the top with the Chicago Cubs 13th overall pick in this year's draft, that's right, he was just drafted in 2023, he's 21 years old, and he is one of those names that it looks like he'll have shortstop eligibility on CBS, but you are projecting a long time that he's going to be a second baseman, right? Yes, and I, th- and I looked at this ahead of time, I, I knew this was going to come up, because he did primarily play shortstop. He played 20 of his games uh, at short, but he also played 10 at second base. So he could, I don't want to say he's not going to play shortstop. And I know MLB pipeline does qualify him at a shortstop. I put him at second base. That's a position I think he's going to play. Sometimes you're going to see that with me, but this isn't a situation where he didn't play second base at all. And I'm just guessing he just did play a little bit more shortstop. And that is very common. Very Any guy that can play shortstop, they're going to want to keep at shortstop for as long as possible in the minors, even if we all kind of know that that guy's going to move off at some point. That was kind of like the Nick Gonzalez thing. So this is a little bit more projecty, and I know that doesn't help everybody here, but we just won't talk about him in the shortstop uh, episode. We'll just make sure we focus on him here. And there is a lot to talk about. He played 38 games in the Cubs system uh, after being drafted. He got 15 of those in at double-A. Overall, Matt Shaw hit 357 with eight home runs, nine doubles, four triples, 15 steals, a 10-10 OPS. I mean, look at this resume. I know it's only 38 games. I don't want to fall for a small sample, but I mean, this guy looks like a legit five-category player in fantasy. Welsh, your thoughts? I do fall for some of the small sample, but I also paid attention to him in college, and this was one of those guys in my pre-draft rankings. I fell in love with him, and it was funny because I fell in love with like him and Tommy Troy, and I thought those, and who the Dimebacks took, who were two players that were kind of similar in some nature, both stealing bases. They got some power, maybe a little bit shorter, uh, but I really fell in love with Matt Shaw. He was one of those guys that uh, I had a lot of data um, from like, 90th percentile exit velocity, uh, contact percentage, you know, zone contact percentage on 92 plus mile an hour, all that type of fun metric max EV. And Matt Shaw was one of those guys that absolutely popped from it. And then you saw an incredibly dominating performance when he got to uh, uh, to professional baseball, getting up to double A. He's my number four on my first year player. Like that's how far. And I think if you didn't want to mess around with pitching, you could justify him at three for sure. He's stealing bases at a great clip. He showed big power, got to double A, big hard hit numbers. Also in 29 games in South Bend, he hit 360 against righties. He didn't have a ton of at-bats against lefties, but he hit 500 in South Bend. So, I mean, he is answered every single call, the bat speeds there, the barreling, the contact, the hard hit numbers, and he's running right now. Bumps might be in the road. And if you do look at the future of the Cubs, this is one of those funny instances where it's like Nico is 
probably their second baseman. So he could be their shortstop and then he would fall at shortstop. I don't know if maybe they would consider maybe Nico being the shortstop and readjusting that. It's all going to be about how they feel about his arm. I think his arm's fine. Pretty good defender. I think he's a great defender playing all around, but I just have felt that was going to be second base. But I love Matt Shaw. Almost top, just right on the edge of a top 15 overall prospect. And he is four on my first year player. He's a guy that I want to have all the shares of if possible. So it's interesting. They the Cubs also have Dansby Swanson, who was signed through 2029. Um, and by all accounts, yeah, Dan, that didn't even occur to me. That didn't even yeah. catch my brain when you said that. You're right. So I don't know. Maybe Matt Shaw winds up at like third base. Possible. I, I think he played a little third base in the minors too. So it's going to be somewhere in the infield. And of course, what we care about most for fantasy is the offensive production. And and right now, Matt Shaw looks like he's going to be an impact player from that perspective. The number two second baseman is Tamar Johnson with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the fourth overall pick in last year's draft. He's just 19 years old. This season in the minors hit 244 with a 422 on base percentage. That is just one of the more interesting batting average OBP splits that I've seen. Uh, 18 home runs, 10 steals, and 860 OPS. That was across 105 games at single A and high A. Obviously has a crazy good eye at the plate, but Wells, for you, how concerning is it that Tamar was graded as a potential 60-hit tool, yet he has like a 25% strikeout rate so far in the minors? Yeah, so this is a tough one. This is kind of a me one. This is a me being stubborn one. I bet you, you ask a lot of other people, it's not going to be him. It's not going to be him at number two. But this is me wanting to kind of stay true to some of the tools. I do believe it is light tower power. Obviously, when he can connect has kind of been more of the problem. Um, this was one of the highest graded contact hitters coming out of high school, and that hasn't quite worked out. But you know, he was able to pull together what was a really bad start. I mean, 244 doesn't look good on paper, of course, but it was much worse, you know, early on. 214 coming out of April. He had a pretty good May. And then it kind of tapered down in June. He hit 209. Just really big, streaky stuff. Then he came back to hitting 260. He was able to finish the year hitting 346, which I love to see. I think there's I really truly think there's 30 plus uh, homer power if we can get over 270. The swing and miss is a problem, but it's just very, I think, early on in the stage of development that I think this can be worked on. I actually kind of thought he might be a candidate to come out here to the fall league, but I think it's going to go full season, cut the strikeouts down, and then you probably see him here next year. Listen, if he has a worse strikeout issue next season, like if the batting average stays kind of inconsistent, but the strikeouts come down, I'm going to feel all but more validated. If it's the opposite direction, you know, where it's like he's hitting a little bit more, batting average is going up, but his strikeouts are getting worse, I'm going to be really worried about that. I just tend to not, like, fall off of insanely talented players off of early struggles, but listen, like, Jared Kelnick had these issues. Uh, Robert Hassel is kind of an example of some of these issues as well. I'm just banking on some of the developmental changes we saw in season and him being able to pop into some streaks is going to be something he can carry into a full season. And if he does, and he hits 275, 280 next year, he's going to hit 25 plus homers. He might push 30 next year and he's a double digit stolen base guy. So I love Tamar Johnson. Another one of those like short stoppy second base players um, that I think he's listed. I'll take a look at his fielding real quick because he's listed as a shortstop on pipeline, but this year, he in two, so he played, yeah, I guess that's going to change. Yeah, because it was 87 games at second base. He only played five at shortstop. So that that should change for all platforms this, this year. 
Yeah, yeah. He, he Termal Johnson will have second base eligibility on uh, CBS entering 2024. 20, the same cannot be said for your number three second base prospect, who is Tommy Troy from the Arizona Diamondbacks, 12th overall pick in this year's draft, just one pick ahead of Matt Shaw, who we just spoke about. Uh, Tommy Troy, also 21 years old. He got 27 games in, 23 of those at high A, where Tommy Troy overall hit 271 with four homers, nine steals, in 843 OPS. I think this one is a little bit easier to project second base because obviously we're all expecting Jordan Lawler to be the shortstop of the yeah. future for the Diamondbacks, right? Well, funny enough, too, is like this is one of those instances where he only played shortstop this year. Again, I just want to point out, like, guys coming out of the draft, unless that arm is completely bad, like the worst, or they've got, you know, developing shortstops that these guys can't push, they're going to push these guys at shortstop early on, see what they have. So I'm not shocked about that at all. But he's also listed as second base on ML, on MLB Pipeline. So, you know, baseball's prospect system of MLB Pipeline, they list him as a second baseman, though he didn't play there. But yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. It's like Jordan Lawler, even though he's not playing, he's on the World Series roster, he's not out there playing. Um, they're doing anything they can to not play him. He is the future of this position, and they also have Perdomo. Cattell Marte is a bigger question, of course, but, you know, Cattell's also played in the outfield in uh, years prior. I just think they'll marinate on Tommy Troy a little bit. I do think second base is his future. He's a bigger, stockier guy, too, listed at 5'10". I wouldn't be surprised if he's 2'10". He's very muscular, kind of has that, like, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to say Dan Ugla and make you think it's Dan Ugla, but, you know, just Dan Ugla is, like, a little bit shorter. And But this is, like, he's thinner, more muscular, and maybe that's just an in-person thing. The power didn't uh, pop off, but he did steal some bases. I think he suffered from an injury. He's still working defensively. He's working with Orlando Hudson. But, again, this is another one of those guys, the Diamondbacks, they went out of their way to have a very analytically driven draft this past year. They probably, I talked to Corby Carroll about it when I saw him with uh, Sid's graphs earlier that in, and he acknowledged that they were purposely going after players that had higher contact rates above 90, had higher max EVs. And that was uh, Gino Grover. That was Jack Hurley. And Tommy Troy was one of those players that jumped off of the list of high contact rates, low uh, swing and miss rates, max EV and like the 118s and star 115s or something like that. So, you know, they think they can get the right traits into a player that already has a great baseline. And we love these Diamondbacks have been more ana analytically driven. We love players like that. And I think they can optimize Tommy Troy. So maybe he's not counting stat as exciting as Matt Shaw, but I definitely think there's like a 2020. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are 2020, I guess, at this point, but 2020 in the middle infield will take and, um, you know, let them run. Let them run with the Diamondbacks. So you mentioned you have Matt Shaw fourth in your first year player draft rankings. Where do you have Tommy Troy? I have Tommy Troy at seven. Yeah, I've got him at seven right now. All right. So, so yeah. seems like pretty big upside for both of those guys. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get the Welsh's thoughts on Ronnie Mauricio here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back in. Let's quickly recap the Welsh's top three second base prospects entering 2024. We have Matt Shaw with the Cubs, Tamar Johnson with the Pirates, Tommy Troy with the D-backs. Number four is Ronnie Mauricio with the Mets, who Scott and I spoke about on yesterday's podcast. He did get 26 games in with the Mets as a 22-year-old. He hit 248 with uh, two homers, seven steals. And posted some big exit velocities, 117.3 max exit velocity. That was the hardest hit baseball by a Mets player over the past two seasons. Not just this year with, you know, someone named Pete Alonzo, who's one of the best sluggers in the game. Over the past two years, the hardest hit ball is held 
by Ronnie Mauricio in the Mets organization. In the minors, 20-plus homers, 20-plus deals, lowered the strikeout rate down to 18.2%. Welsh, are you buying in on these improvements Ronnie Mauricio made this year, and do you like him as a sleeper for next year? Yeah, I, I, there's a lot to like about Ronnie Mauricio. It's funny. I, I had lots of different conversations about him uh, during the season with like Jeff Ponce from Baseball America. Like, do, how much do we really believe in the hit tool? The strikeouts can be a concern. I'd be fine if someone wanted to be like, hey, listen, Ronnie Mauricio should be the number two guy here. Or I mean, I wouldn't completely disagree at number one, but they want to say, hey, it's number two. Tamar has a lot to prove. Tommy Trope. Cool. I don't disagree because he's going to be at the majors. You know, that's a big positive. But I think if you're talking like long term, my ultimate concerns are like the higher strikeout rates. They definitely he didn't post five percent barrel rate and a small sample size under 40 percent hard hit. But it was an almost 30 percent K rate. I don't really love that. Not a big walker, but he was able to put up a pretty categorically great year in almost having a 25 25 Ronnie Mauricio used to be a higher contact player, like when he was like 19 years old and a smaller player. It was like, oh, will he develop power? Then he did the turn where the batting average seemed to start to go by the wayside. And then he ended up becoming more of a big power threat, putting up some huge EVs. Max EVs mask inefficiencies. Sometimes, not always, but they can mask some inefficiencies. So he's got a lot of upside because he can steal bases if the Mets let him. And the, that max EV might go from, hey, you're a struggling 220 hitter to getting a few more balls going your way and hitting 240. And by that standard, he could become very fantasy relevant. So if you care more about proximity, he could be the number two guy here. I think there's going to be a little bit more swing and miss issues this coming year, which I'm, you know, we'll see how he adjusts. Maybe he adjusts phenomenally. I don't expect some crazy like sub 20% turnaround. So I think that's going to hold him back maybe from ever hitting high in the lineup, but anywhere from two to four, two to five on a prospect list, I think is where he belongs. All right. Number five, second base prospect is Carlos Jorge with the Reds. He is 20 years old this season in the minors hit 282 with 12 homers, 32 steals and an 838 OPS between single A and high A massive walk rates here. Uh, leading up to high A where Carlos Jorge did struggle there. I think it was like 20 games, something like that. So not a huge sample. Posted a 32% strikeout rate at high A. I've seen some concerns over the power too. He's like kind of a smaller dude at 5'10". Well, it's your thoughts here on Carlos Jorge. Yeah, I mean, he's um, he's a jack for his size. But yeah, he's definitely a little bit smaller. And like you could look and be like, what about Tamar? Like Tamar is much thicker thicker home run approach who has tapped into big hard hit numbers. Jorge is not that. That is the worry. You know, maybe the he hit 12 homers this um, this past year in like 109 games. Maybe he is a 10 to 15 homer guy and he's a 30 plus stolen base player. Maybe the ceiling is Nico Horner. You know, maybe that's kind of the ceiling for him. Ultimately, there's definitely more of a downside. There's a lot of positional stoppage in front of him with this team. So this is one of those guys that the the road might take a lot longer. He's actually playing um, in Lightham right now in Dominican Winter League, uh, which I haven't checked in on. I got to check in and see how he's doing because I always love that transition from in season, which he missed some time due to injury, getting to play in a very hyper competitive uh, spot in the Dominican Winter League and then coming back over. But he's still a high A guy. He's probably going to play most of the year at double A. He's still a bit of a ways away, but I guess I'm banking on him being a 1530 player. And I think he's really answered a lot of questions where there's other Reds players like Cam Collier, who is a bigger name prospect. 
really has struggled. He just continuously struggled. And that was a guy that from a talent perspective, you would want to physically bet on. But uh, I've seen Jorge a couple times in person. I've liked what I've seen. The body didn't stand out as something that was going to completely keep me off of him. I think something that could eventually help Carlos Jorge is the fact that he did play 18 games in center field as well. He has second base eligibility on CBS, but eventually when he's trying to earn a job with the Reds, Maybe the fact that he could play the outfield will help with some versatility. Obviously, they have a ton of awesome infield prospects with Matt McClain yeah. and, and Ellie De La Cruz and Noel V. Marte. So the outfield might be the path uh, long-term there for Carlos Jorge. The next two, number six and seven in your second base rankings, I'm going to kind of group these two together. Curtis Mead with the Tampa Bay Rays, 23 years old. He got 24 games in with Tampa Bay this year where he hit 253 with one home run. Uh, and a 675 OPS in classic Tampa Bay fashion. They basically only played him against left-handed pitching, so how, how is this guy going to learn? I don't know. It's Tampa Bay. Uh, and then number seven is Connor Norby with the Baltimore Orioles, a former second-round pick from 2021. He is also 23 years old. He hit 290 with 21 homers, 10 steals, in 842 OPS. Both the power and speed took a step back here, uh, and the Orioles... I mean, much like the Reds, they are loaded. They have so many prospects that are either currently being called up, on the verge of being called up. I don't know where all these guys are going to play. But Welsh, your thoughts on uh, Curtis Mead and Connor Norby potentially making an impact in 2024. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those I just want to throw out. Like, if someone wants to be like, well, Mead is in the majors, and Jorge could be two more years. Okay, then you can do it. My, I just was never quite as big on Curtis Mead as everybody else. You saw some pretty low uh, barrel numbers in, you know, short-ish sample, sample size in the majors. Hard hit was not even 23% this past year. I just always worried that he was going to hit for good contact and he would be like a fine counting stats guy. He wasn't going to be a Luis Rise, but he was like Jeff McNeil or something like that. And I don't, I don't like get jacked up about Jeff McNeil. So that's like, I didn't, I didn't get jacked up about Curtis Mead in that instance. And I kind of still think he's that type of guy. Like I, I'd be surprised if he was able to max out past 20 on both homers and stolen bases in a season. It could go either way. I tend to think he's probably going to be like a 15, 15 guy. If he hits for high average, he might be a cool number two and he's going to score some runs. Maybe he steals more and the powers go down. I just never been the biggest Curtis Mead guy and the short sample size in the majors didn't like do anything to help me. Cause like I said, low barrel, low hard hit Connor Norby. I, I did get kind of excited for for a bit. I do love the power numbers. Um, he can steal some bases. Batting average went up, but everything kind of came back down. But he's like halted. What I didn't love is Rotowire's hard hit strength. He did kind of register in the red around 25%, which I want to say from year. Let me look in 2020. I think I can actually look at that. But in 2020, no, I can't. 2022, I want to say it was in like the 31. So you had a dip in uh, overall counting stats. You had the hard hit go down and you're kind of blocked at the major league level. But I'd like him from probably of offensive five by five category standpoint, maybe even a little bit more than Mead, but I think Mead's a better hitter. So it's kind of a balance between those two. They're kind of clumped together. You care about proximity, move these guys up a little bit. But if I'm looking over the, like the long stretch, I just think Carlos Jorge speaks more to fantasy than maybe Mead will Norby. I don't know. Norby might deserve to go a little bit higher. This is kind of like a tier with those three guys. Connor Norby, by the way, I mentioned, where is he going to play? Because the Orioles have all these players. Uh, he did get 27 games in in left field. So, yeah. again, that's 
the versatility helps. It helps with you know the possibility of getting that call. So whether it's second base or somewhere in a corner outfield spot, uh, you know that that could be the path here for Connor Another, Norby in 2024. One thing to add, like, and I'm I don't mean to make more about anything, but like, I would have felt he was an option to like be close to breaking camp with that team in left field. How they send him to the AFL because that would make sense. Hey, here's more time to play in the outfield. They did that with Heston Kerstad. They didn't do that here. They brought out Billy Cook and T.T. Bowen. Like, those are the players that they brought out here. T.T. Bowen's a first baseman. Billy Cook, I think, plays in the outfield. And those, I, they might be more Rule 5 guys. So, like, why didn't they bring him out here to play more outfield? Are they that comfortable with him? Or do they just not view him as an option there early on? Or maybe it's a trade piece. You know, you kind of mentioned it. Like, what are the Orioles going to do? Like, the Orioles only have so many players. You need to start capitalizing on maybe moving some stuff. He might be a trade piece, which makes him even more intriguing if he goes to a spot where he can just start playing from day one. Yeah, I mean, if it's not Connor Norby, they could look to move some of their other guys. Again, they have so many other prospects. Guys we haven't even talked about, right? Like Kobe Mayo and, you know, obviously Jordan Westberg got some play in last year too. But I still think, man, if if they can move one of these big names for like a second or third starter, that makes a ton of sense for Baltimore right now. So... I think that's probably the route that they'll go down. But as of now, it, it's it's a pretty crowded team there out, out there in Baltimore. The number eight second base prospect is Jace Young. Sound familiar? That's right. He is Josh Young's brother. Jace Young plays for the Detroit Tigers, a first-round pick in 2022. He's 23 years old. This season in the minors, hit 265 with 28 home runs and an 878 OPS. Got 47 games in at AA and actually got quite a bit better going from high A to double A, which is a a good sign for Jace Young. I know he's played out in the Arizona Fall League. The numbers are not really jumping off the page there. Uh, Welsh, what do you think we're going to get here from Jace Young? Yeah, by the way, I mean, it's after the fact, but uh, Jace told a friend of mine that he's going to the game tonight on Halloween. So I hope he had the worst time that he could possibly have and that he's (laughs) uh, wiping up the tears of his brother, hopefully. Um, You know, Jace is super interesting. I'm just not in love with him. You know what I hate the most? And I bet a lot of like people that critically look at him, I just hate his swing. I hate the, the, he's got his hand back. It's very like the bat is backwards, like to the side. And he, he has a very, um, holds it like an iron almost, you know how like you would just like that. It's a very odd hold that I just like, I know he hit 28 homers. I aired. Yeah. 28 homers this past year. It just doesn't feel like it's going to be that. I think he could be tired out here. I don't see him making great swings on pitches. High velocity seems like, I don't know. Maybe this, the swing might be optimized in a way that works best for him to be able to get the bat in the path quickest. I just don't know if the raw power is really, truly there. I did see him run a bit more. He actually stole second stole second, and then third on Kevin Parada. He like aggressively did it the other day. And then he had three stolen bases in one game, and he only had five uh, during the entire season. So maybe he's running a little bit more. He's a little bit more slight of body than his brother. Um, I like Josh Young quite a bit more. That's why I didn't move Jace up. I've just... Not in love with some of the mechanics. Not in love with some of the approach. I kind of think from a fantasy perspective, he's an average player. And I'll eat those words. If he really is a 28-plus home run guy, okay, I'm wrong. I just don't quite see it. Um, But he had a huge hot streak towards the end of the year. I want to say it was like 10 homers or something in that final month. So uh, maybe it'll keep getting adjusted. There's a lot of bloodlines there. But uh, I'm just not in love with Jace Young. And you know what does not help Chase Young is the fact that if he makes it to the majors with the Tigers, it is a terrible ballpark for home run power. We've 
seen that with Spencer Torkelson, even though he just had a 30 home run season. You know, basically, if he played anywhere else, he would be like a 35-40 home run hitter. So that's something that also kind of, I think, maybe long-term puts a cap on the upside for Jace Young playing in Comerica Park. Number 9 and 10 in the second base prospect rankings, we see Tyler Black with the Brewers and Ryan Bliss with the Mariners. Now, I'm going to put these two together because they're both 23 years old and seemingly had breakout seasons here in 2023. Uh, Tyler Black with the Brewers hit 284 with 18 home runs, 55 steals, and a 930 OPS. This dude walks a ton. He actually had more walks than strikeouts at AAA, so... Uh, he's a little bit older, you know, 23 years old, just kind of getting to, to AAA, but man, he dominated uh, at every level last year. And then Ryan Bliss, who is a former second-round pick with your Diamondbacks, Welsh, came over to the Mariners in the Paul Seawald trade. This year in the minors, hit 304, 23 homers, 55 steals, so kind of similar in terms of production, right? Like, decent power, big speed numbers from both of these guys. How much are you buying the breakout seasons for both Tyler Black and Ryan Bliss? You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm not as high on either one of these guys as I thought I would be. Tyler Black was here last year, and Tyler Black put up a video game season. So what I'm dealing with a little bit is I didn't love Tyler Black when I saw him in the AFL. Seemed like a very average player. But this year, I mean, 55 stolen bases, the 88 walks is absurd. 18 homers, four and 100-plus uh, difference between batting average and OBP and having a 400 plus OBP. Like, what are we talking about here? It's ridiculous. I'm just not sh- like, I just don't know if I can go fully in just because I never was impressed with like the bat speed, but also this is after that, this is after the fact. And it looked like, like his path uh, in decision-making was exponentially better than it ever was. And he registered pretty well. Hard hit was just under 30%, which is the good green marker, hard hit strength. Ryan Bliss, not so much in the 25s. And the the thing that stood out to me, he definitely is a problem to get out. Contact all the time. Absolute doubles hitter. He's a monster if he hits something dribbly on the infield because he is so fast. I just haven't seen the power at all. And he had like 23 homers this past year. I haven't seen a lick of that power out here in the Arizona Fall League. That could be due to maybe like, you know, just the rigors of an entire season and just getting tired and stuff like that. But um, I don't... Both of these guys could justify from what they did last year being way higher. Here's the one thing that I hold that I kind of like on both is they both, I think, could break t- uh, camp with their teams. And that's what I kept staring at. I actually wanted to like move them, but I was looking, I was like, is Bryce Terang going to hold back Tyler Black? Is, um, God, who I'm forgetting completely who it was, second base with the Mariners right now. It was, it's nobody. It's like, no, but I don't even remember who it is. I was just like, Ryan Bliss can absolutely take this job. Who is it, Frank? Who is the second baseman they even have listed right now? I am pulling up the roster resource page right now because you kind of caught me off guard, too. It I know. I caught myself off guard. Josh Rojas. <laughs> Josh Rojas isn't going to hold back Ryan Bliss if he's doing really well. Even Rojas did play. But my point was, like, both of those guys from a proximity perspective, they're kind of close. They're both kind of close. And Ryan Bliss, I think Ryan Bliss steals more bases than Tyler Black does. But if Tyler Black's ability to barrel is real, there is true power. I think there's 20, there's room for 20 power. He might be a 20, 30 guy and Milwaukee is a pretty decent place to hit. I think it's more likely that bliss is a guy that could steal 40, 50 bases and only hits 10 to 15 homers. You know what? So Ryan bliss might, the closest comp to him might be like the Nico Horner. I talked about, you know, 90 plus runs, 
nine to 15 homers, 40 plus stolen bases. He bliss will hit for average. I feel very confident about that, but he's got to be hitting two for a lineup. So I think he can be a three solid three category player. Tyler Black's upside is probably a five tool player. I think the downside is just an average, you know, three tool player. So I don't know. I feel like there's a floor with Ryan bliss. that's not there with black, but his ceiling is through the roof. Yeah, and I, I've got to mention this because I know I would be doing Scott White a disservice because he's not here on this podcast, so I got to bring it up. Uh, Curtis Mead, who we spoke about earlier, he actually has third base eligibility on CBS. He's probably going to bounce around. That's what the Tampa Bay Rays do. Tyler yeah. Black is actually going to have also third base eligibility on CBS. He played most of, not the most, but he played more games at third base than any other position in the minors last year, which got me thinking. The Brewers' current third baseman, according to Roster Resource, is Andrew Monasterio. Mm. No offense to Andrew Monasterio, but there's a real chance that if the Brewers want Tyler Black up sooner rather than later, they can make that happen very easily here. So as a left-handed hitter with power and speed, they're calling up some of their other prospects at the same time. You know, we saw the South Freelix last year, Bryce Terang, Joey Weimer, those guys. Yeah, I think there's a chance that we could see a lot of Tyler Black with the Brewers organization as soon as 2024. And in that ballpark, it, that's pretty fun, man. Yeah, and just and another thing to reiterate is is exactly what we just you mentioned. Like Tyler Black was pretty firmly a second baseman last year, played it in the AFL and plays more primary third base. Shortstops, second baseman, they move around. Shortstops specifically can be the most move around-y, but between third, short, and second, there's a lot of fluidness between prospects. So I personally do not get hung up in the world of being like, as I've had people hit me up before and be like, oh, well, you know, I got a lot of shortstops. Would you trade this guy to get the second base? No, I don't, because these guys will, they will change. So I don't get too caught up in that stuff. Knowing where these guys can play, I think is more important than where they do play because these things will change. There's, there's a likelihood Jordan Lawler as a shortstop and the Diamondbacks doesn't even play there. You know, third base has been an issue next year. Evan Longoria doesn't seem long for this team. How do you get Perdomo and Cattell Marte out of the lineup? You don't. And so what do you do? You have Jordan Lawler work at third base throughout the entire offseason, be a third baseman. So it's fluid to so be more focused on where they can play than where they are. But I do understand like position eligibility on sites is important for people to at least know where they're going to be slotting guys. Yeah. For what it's worth. I mean, on Tyler Black's minor league, baseball like profile page he's listed as a second baseman but yeah. if you look at his games played by position last year it was 97 at third base 16 at first base 10 at dh he didn't even play a game at second base last yeah, year I know. in the minors which is just crazy but uh maybe that also helps his chances with the brewers is that kind of versatility where he can you know bounce around and, and play wherever they need him so uh, again recapping the top 10 second base prospects up at the top matt shaw with the cubs termar johnson with the pirates Tommy Troy with the D-backs, Ronnie Mauricio with the Mets, Carlos Jorge with the Reds, Curtis Mead with the Rays, Connor Norby with the Orioles, Jace Young with the Tigers, Tyler Black with the Brewers, and Ryan Bliss with the Mariners. Among the names that we talked about, the proximity prospects, the ones you need to know that could impact 2024. Obviously, Ronnie Mauricio is up at the top. His early ADP over at the NFBC uh, five five drafts have been done, 250.2. So that's kind of like 
you're probably drafting Ronnie Mauricio as a starting middle infielder at that point in draft. So keep that in mind. Curtis Mead, his early ADP is 391.2, followed by Connor Norby, Matt Shaw, and then both Tyler Black and Ryan Bliss. Uh, I think Tyler Black is actually like in the 400s. So if you do those like draft champions or any type of early draft and hold league, Tyler Black is a name that you might actually want to look at. Real quick, Welsh, I wanted to ask you about one more name that you did not have listed, so I'm kind of throwing you a curveball here. But Thomas Sajisi, who was traded from the Cardinals, uh, traded to the Cardinals, rather, in the Jordan Montgomery trade. He came from the Texas Rangers. The dude just mashed everywhere he was last year. Every level, any team, it did not matter. Uh, Do you have any hope in in Thomas Sajisi? Was he close to being in this top 10? Yeah, so I haven't listened as a shortstop. Gotcha. Um, so that's the only reason here. I did look his, he played shortstop, but his primary this past year, what ended up being second base. I haven't gone through and done all my positional changes. I also, I tend to kind of stick with the natural position unless it has a firmly changed, but it did kind of firmly change though. They also played him at third. Here's the thing with the Cardinals, which makes that more interesting. Cardinals love guys to be able to move around. So that position, he's very likely to be a guy that will have multi-position eligibility. He did play a decent amount of, I think, third base as well. I think JC is a legit dude. Now, you look at the blockage in front of him, though, and if you've got the Edmonds and the Gormans, like, I think that could make it a little bit tougher, but he's on the precipice. So, I mean, if, if I did slot him in here, I would have had him right under Mauricio. And I think I had Mauricio at what, four? So he would have been five if I had uh, just designated him as a second baseman. And, you know, if you're talking about proximity, I would have probably put, I probably would have put him right under Mauricio as well, just because I think he's like right there. You know, maybe I think I had what, Mauricio at one? Yeah, proximity. proximity. Yep. Maybe I would have had him at three, just knowing like we know Meade is going to like be up there. So I would have had him between two and three. Love Thomas J.C. I think he led minor leagues in hits this past year. He can steal, makes a ton of contact, hit over 300. And the power output was one of the biggest surprises that you could have possibly imagined. So I love the Cardinals organization for developing him. I think they let him run a little bit more. And... It's, it's, I know I say a lot and it's kind of like a trophy, but like 2020, man, like he's a 2020 guy with a ton of batting average. And if, if he, you know what, if he broke camp, I think he would be deserved to be one of those quiet conversation pieces for rookie of the year next year. I think Evan Carter is like the guy that we're all going to be hyper focused on. But if JC was up the entire year, I wouldn't discount, I might throw a little NL bid on a guy like him because I think the way the Cardinals would use him and if he could hit higher in the lineup, I think he'd be a dude, man. Yeah, he kind of gives me like Matt McClain vibes a little bit, right? Thomas yeah. the GC, like smaller dude, but he packs a punch. Uh, this past season hit 306, 26 homers, 101 runs, 111 RBI, 12 steals, a 904 OPS. Did it at every level, got 13 games in at AAA. Uh, we could talk about him more on, you know, shortstop top prospects, but Thomas Sajisi, definitely a name that you need to know heading into 2024 as well. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll do some uh, dynasty trade targets for the second base position and some Arizona Fall League updates. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back in. Let's get into some dynasty trade targets at the second base position. And first up, Welsh, a second baseman to buy. We were kind of, you and I were talking off air about it. There's some really interesting names out there. The guy that jumped out to me as a player that I think I'd want to buy, and it really helped, I think, once you gave me the NF, early NFBC data where he was going outside the top 100, a buy I'm looking at is Bryson Stott 
this offseason, stealing 31 bases this past year, 15 homers, 150 games. Would have loved the run total to be a little bit better. Solid playoff run, hitting five. We're really oddly how they were, you know, constructing their lineup where Bohm was hitting four. And sometimes you would see Stott, I think, between five and six. Maybe Ramuto was at five. Um, you know, decent RBI spot. And I've always loved Bryson Stott. I love the batting average being up there. I love the lack of strikeouts. 15% this past year. That was like a super welcome surprise that he looks like a cheaper Nico Horner version of someone I'm going to talk about here in a second, where didn't we say that there was like a 30, where did you say Nico was compared to Bryson Stott on NFPC? I think he's going like 30, 35 picks higher. Yeah, I think that's so. I mean, that's relatively significant. I love the offense for Stott. I think he could hit higher in the lineup going into the season with the lack of strikeouts and the contact that he made too. So I'm a big Bryson Stott guy, and I, I would love for the power numbers to pop a little bit more. Um, I would love for the hard hit numbers to come up a little bit more. I'd love for the barrel to come up because he doesn't necessarily register in some of those things that I really get hyper-focused on. But Hit 280, expected batting average around 267, which is still really good. Fully optimized uh, everything that you could get out of him. So I suppose you could also see some potential downside. But we're talking 1530 outside the top 100. To me, that's a buy. So I'm going to buy on Bryson's thought. I don't have a great name here that I'm looking to buy, but somebody I am pretty excited about. Some of the things you said during today's show, I was like, uh, maybe I, I, I don't know. Kind of made me a little bit more queasy to do it. But Ronnie Mauricio, I'm just enamored with like the max EVs coupled with the potential for speed here. So I think there's a 2020 bat, uh, you know, 2020 player in there. Does he wind up hitting like 240, 250? That, that's probably the most realistic outcome here. But I don't want to sell him short. He's obviously still super young. Uh, and I think he's loaded with upside. So I don't want to spend too much to get him. If someone has him who's like in love with Ronnie Mauricio or they're a Mets fan, it's like, okay, don't don't kind of like go out of your way. But, you know, if you can get him at a fair value, I'd be looking to buy on Ronnie Mauricio. Welsh, a second baseman you were looking to sell in Dynasty. I didn't love doing this, but just kind of thinking about the cost, Nico Horner, who we just talked about. Nico stole all the bases this past year, so I, I hate to like take credit away from that. 98 runs, big. Power numbers, not there. RBI, not there. But one of the things you, you take a look at, and you and I were talking about, is like look at the offense that's going to be potentially surrounded this Cubs team. I don't feel super optimistic about the guys that are going to be hitting him in. And I think he was very, very stolen base and run-centric. I mean, really, without that, He's an incredibly average player. So if you still get the stolen bases, that's great. But if those runs come down into the 80s, you're taking quite a bit off. He's an absolute nothing burger on power. Put it up a 100 ISO this past year, which I know it's not like Bryson Stott was, you know, breaking uh, the mold or anything like that. But, you know, he had touched 200s in the minor leagues. I just I think it's we're devoid of power with Nico Horner. And I think it's very, very stolen base run centric where I just don't I think there I think there's the potential Bryson Stott could be a 20 homer guy and the stolen bases can come down and he's being put in situations where he can have more RBI. And if we're talking about a 30 to 40 spot difference in just NFC drafts, not even talking about dynasty. I don't know. I think we're we're in an era of overrating stolen bases potentially by a pretty wide margin. And I don't think like a 100 ISO 40 stolen base guy, even though like great season, I want to take away from it. If I can, if I can maximize that, I think I'd be looking to sell off of Nico Horner. Plus there is an expected batting average difference. that gets him down into like the two seventies. I think it was 272 expected slug quite a bit worse than his actual. So it's like the expected numbers tell 
a worse story with the bat and he needs to get absolutely everything out of what he is currently outputting. Yeah, I like that call a lot too. No offense to Cubs fans out there, but I think there's a chance this Cubs lineup takes a step back as well, which would hurt the counting stats for Nico Horner. And then what are we looking at? A, a good batting average. And look, maybe he hits like 280 again. That That is a good batting average, no doubt about it. But it's yeah. not like it's like 330 or like three, you know, something like that, over 300 that's like winning you the category. It's not like that. Um and I think there's a chance those counting stats come down. The speed should obviously be great once again for Nico Horner. The dynasty sell for me is actually Marcus Semien. He's getting up there in age. He's 33, 34 years old. And even if he has another great season next year, I won't feel bad if I sold off on him as long as I'm getting completely fair value for Marcus Semien. I'd rather be one year early rather than one year late. Uh, he's one of these guys who is a volume play. So at some point... If he doesn't get as much volume, if he happens to miss some games, I think that's going to affect the counting stats. Uh, he's not someone who puts up like big exit velocities or stat cast numbers either. He is a fine player. He is a great redraft player. But in Dynasty, I'd be like, looking to get out now on Marcus Simeon if I could. Sell him today. <laughs> Sell him right now yeah. in the World Series. Get right, him out of there. Right before the World Series game. Just get him out of the World Series is what I'm saying. Let's <laughs> make him go away. Let's wrap up with some Arizona Fall League updates. And no surprise, we've already talked about this name once before, but... We've seen, especially last year, even the year before that, I feel like there are names that get off to these hot starts at the Arizona Fall League, but they don't keep it up, right? Eventually, they kind of slow down a little bit. Jacob Marcy, outfield prospect with the Padres, has not slowed down. In fact, he's actually gotten better. As of Halloween, when we're recording this, he is batting 420 with four home runs, 14 steals, a 1287 OPS, which now leads the Arizona Fall League. He also has 17 walks in 86 plate appearances. Well, so I know a couple of weeks ago you gave us your thoughts on Jacob Marcy, but I, I think this is something that's only further reinforcing that, maybe giving the Padres some more confidence that we could potentially see Marcy in San Diego at some point in 2024. That's what I that's what I said, I think, early on a couple of weeks ago. And I think that seemed unrealistic, but like, listen, not only does he lead in OPS, he leads in hits. He leads in doubles. He leads in stolen bases. He has the second most walks out here. He's a monster. And one of the drags on him, I think, was like lower minor league um, average exit velocities and stuff like that. I just kind of take that as one of the things I love about him most is he can punch it to all fields as a lefty. And he continues to hit off of lefties. I had this video. I didn't know if you were going to play any of them. But uh, this really weird thing, Daniel Lynch with the Royals just randomly got added to the AFL. That's what happens sometimes just out of nowhere for one start, Daniel Lynch lefty. He comes in and Jacob Marcy took him deep. And that was another, that's like the, at least the second, I think I've seen he had a double. I think I've seen three of Marcy's four homers so far. And I think, I think all three actually that I've seen have all been off of lefty. So that is lefty on lefty crime. He can punch it to all fields. He is the best base stealer out here. He feels he seems very comfortable athletically. He, he's got a major league body right now. He's not looking to develop more into it. He makes good decisions. He's not striking out a ton. He's walk. I mean, he's doing everything. So maybe they've created the ultimate sell high that they could ever have if the Padres, they love to trade prospects and stuff. But if you are looking at this team unloading, maybe some major league talent, I just don't think it's out of, out of sight to say that he couldn't make the major. I, I him and Trent Grisham? I don't know, man. I don't know if Marcy's that far off from being a guy that could replace a guy like Trent Grisham. And I think he 
can put up bigger counting stats overall. So from a fantasy perspective, the problem is like everybody's going to be buzzing about him. And if he does something this weekend, everyone's going to get more excited. He's he is a very popular postseason AFL prospect. If people are not paying attention, you can pounce. If people are paying attention, there's an argument to say, eh, maybe he's kind of a sell high. I'm into it. I just don't think he has cracked enough of the top 100. So I think the cost is still very affordable. So and, I'm going to buy it. And I'm not saying this because I'm a homer. I'm wearing my uh, Peoria Javelinas hat on. Jacob Marcy <laughs> plays for the Javelinas. I, I just learned that right now looking at his uh, minor league baseball page. But... Just a quick look at his splits in the minors this year. He had 84 at-bats against lefties. He hit 250 with four of his 13 home runs and 807 OPS. I mean, that plays. I like seeing that, man. Left-handed hitters who can hit lefties in the minors, too, showing it out there in the Arizona Fall League. I think there's a lot to like. I think he's probably a name that's just out there on waiver wires in Dynasty Leagues, too. Like, you don't really have to pay much to get him. Um, And in leagues like the Scott White Dynasty League... Our first year player draft is really just a minor league draft. It's any minor leaguer that's not, you know, rostered. on a team already rostered, you can just draft and you can put in a minor league spot. So, which by the way, is not a lot because it's 24 teams. So, the, it, it takes a lot for a guy to not be yeah. there. But I think what you're leading to is Jacob Marcy's not there. He's not owned. Yeah. So, if you play in some kind of draft like that, then uh, I would say, again, just kind of keep that name in mind and, and maybe he's someone that you're uh, looking to pick up in those drafts. Totally. Another name I want to mention here is Aaron Sabato, who is a uh, first base prospect in the Twins organization, a first round pick from 2020. He actually hit a double dong on Monday, both of those coming off of Darius Vines, who we saw with the Atlanta Braves this year. Sabato only hitting 222 with a 36% strikeout rate, but he leads the AFL with seven home runs. We haven't really seen much in the minors so far, but he has that pedigree. He was a first-round pick. Welsh, is there any hope for Aaron Sabato? I mean, the problem is, is he's doing exactly what the issue has been. He's hitting like 220. He's done it, done it the entire time. There was this video that came out before he was drafted where he was putting up like 115 max EVs. I mean, he's, he's a big boy. He hits the ball really, really hard. No shocker. There's a couple of guys you could have listed for me they said, hey, this guy's going to lead the AFL. You could have said Aaron Sabato, Wes Clark, and Ivan Melendez. And you said, these guys, one of these guys is going to lead. And I'd been like, yeah, 100%. But Sabato's not showing any of the other stuff that you would want to see. Strikeouts, have those cut down? No, he's second in most strikeouts here in the AFL. He's hitting 222. Those are that's not good. Uh, he's got a couple doubles. Obviously, he's you know destroying mistakes. I've seen him strike out a bunch. It's kind of classic, like, hole in your swing as soon as pitchers get some type of a read. I've noticed one thing that's happened here in the AFL I didn't notice as much in previous years. There's been an uptick in iPad use during games where coaches and players are going through video. Because sometimes this place is just treated like, eh, just having fun. We're out here playing some baseball. It's into the season. No one really cares. It, there's like a little bit more of a hyper focus on like analytics and figuring out like what does this guy pitch and how can we take advantage of him? Players being more focused and talking with each other. So that's a good thing. But I also think what that is is you get more of a read on hitters like Aaron Sabato for pitchers and he's still not adjusting. So is there hope? Sure. It's a guy that could hit 30 plus homers. I'm not holding out. He might get a shot at some point. I also think he's kind of a DH only type of player. So the bat has to boost up. 
And the only thing that's gone up here is the homers. So I kind of don't think so. All right. A, a big name that's out there we haven't heard much about is Colson Montgomery with the White Sox. He is hitting 254 with three home runs, a 755 OPS. He has 20 strikeouts to just three walks. It's a 28.5% strikeout rate for Colson Montgomery. We know he's a big name. First round pick in 2021. Well, so what I want to ask you about him, and I guess it's kind of a, I don't know, a, a more grand scheme type of question is like with guys that are that have this name value right like maybe they don't take it as seriously and I don't want to say that's the case but like is that a possibility or is there something here that maybe we actually should be worried about with Colson Montgomery no I don't think so I mean it's a definite possibility and you just don't want to attach that to any players specifically right. you don't want to be like oh you know this guy's not taking it seriously though they're 100 like I know of guys that are just kind of like sitting back and not caring. Um, I think part of maybe what you're referring to too is like he's not walking, but this is a place that guys get hyper aggressive. I've seen this happen four times. It's not Colson. And and this is one of the best humans here. I just want to point out Eric Brown Jr. with the Brewers is just one of the best people. I'd love him. He'd be a guy. I'd love to get on a podcast, you know, do that type of stuff. But he is here to hit. He is here to improve on his bat. The I have seen him ground out and or get walked. And then when he gets to the dugout, slam the bat. And he's a nice guy. He's not an angry guy, anything like that. And he's mad because he wants to make contact. He wants to work on his game. I'm leading that to, with a guy like Colson Montgomery. Colson Montgomery, I don't think is here to walk. I think here he is here to be kind of like hyper aggressive, try to get the ball in play, try to put up some big stats. It's led to a sub 300 OBP, which you don't love to see, but he's still kind of doing everything else. He's still got the swing. It's not Corey Seager, by the way, which everybody keeps wanting it to be, though there's plenty of similarities. He's a very exciting prospect. He's got huge, huge power. He's just been fine here. Even though he missed some time, I do kind of think like, He's probably ready for this to be over. So sometimes this is also the point, unfortunately, when you guys are all coming out here, these guys, their heads are starting to get out of this and they're kind of thinking about the following week when they're going to be done with this. So it, it's as long as I think you do average here, I think that's solid. It's the guys that really, really struggle or really, really do well that you kind of open your eyes a little bit more about. Nothing to worry about with Colson Montgomery, in my eyes. All right, we're going to wrap there. Welsh, by the time people are listening or watching this episode... I'm on my way, baby. I'm on the plane. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, we're going to wrap there for the Welsh. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again on Saturday. If you're out in First Pitch, Arizona, come watch us live. If you're at home, watch us on YouTube. We will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.